Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-South Television Review Show. I am your host, Mike Mills, where today, Brian Last and I, I'm sorry, the great Brian Last and I will go through the July 3rd, 1982 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Things slowed down a bit on this episode after coming off some really, really, really hot stuff. I mean, it's kind of hard. You can't top it like that every single week, or you start hot-shotting some things. So I'm sitting here with Brian last, and we're going to go through this episode. So, Brian, how you doing first off this morning, and uh, what's going on, man? Aloha, Mike. Good morning. Now that you've exposed that it's morning here as we record another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Like you said, a little bit of a slower-paced episode, kind of a transitional episode between everything that went on last week and the little buildup in the weeks before that to everything that's going to happen next. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I say this frequently if you ever listen to me on any of my other shows on booking the territory i think things like this are part of the natural progression of angles and good television because you can't always have peak moments you can't always be right at the top of things you have to sometimes simmer it down it's kind of like a roller coaster you go up the hill you come down really really fast and things are hot and then you slow build back up and I just think when it comes to wrestling, when you have things like this, where you have lulls in the action or momentum in the story, that's not a bad thing because you have to come off the peaks and go in through the valleys so that you can come back up to the peak. Just my two cents. What do you think about that? I, I think that's exactly right. And again, things were really hot last week on the show. So this week's show kind of, like I said, sets things in motion for everything that's going to come next. And with that said, why don't we open this week's show? It is Cowboy Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce together once again. This was taped on June 23rd, 1982 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. Here's the show open, and we'll talk about it on the other side. We appreciate you viewing with us because a lot of action. The Mississippi Heavyweight Championship on the line. Mr. Lapia defending against the challenge of the mass grafter. Bob Roop in the ring against the inevitable junkyard dog. Ted DiBiase is back, taking on Tom Jones. Just a lot of great action. And the man who will tell us all about it, the Oklahoma Stampeder, our guest commentator, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, boy, a lot of things have been happening in Mid-South, and naturally with the Superdome looming as a large event of the summer and all for wrestling, I think it often brings out the heat of the moment in a lot of events where everybody's still up in the air over Ted DiBiase. We have examined several things and have an in-depth situation, which we'll go into later. And, of course, the junkyard dog is going to have to somehow beat Bob Roop or Bob Roop beat the dog because he was number one in line for DiBiase's title. But now let's go to the ring and Reese Biden for this first big event on today's card. Well, there it is, a basic open setting up what's on today's card, but most importantly, talking about the fact that Ted DiBiase is in fact loading something into that glove. We've taken a look at it. Something's going on. This isn't the DiBiase that we're used to. And and Watts kind of just, if you listen to him, he he's he's not really like long on words right there. He just kind of briefly mentions it. And he's got a little, there's a little mystery going on. Um, Hey, what's going on? You know, we won't really delve into it right here, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking for Watts. Watts is thinking, man, we, we got to look into this. Something is, something ain't right. There's something fishy. But uh, right now, we're not really going to deep deep dive into what that may be. But I definitely got my eyes open to, to this situation. From there, we move on to the opening match. Jesse Barr and Iron Mike Sharp versus Jeff Sword and Doug Vines, who fans of ICW may remember as the Devil's Duo with manager Izzy Slapowitz. Here they are, not called the Devil's Duo, just Jeff Sword and Doug Vines. 
and uh, they actually look really good in there. I mean, they look like a, a team that's actually been regularly teaming for a good period of time. Even Watts points it out. A lot of hot tags, a lot not hot tags, but a lot of fast tags, a lot of action, a lot of working the opponent one after the other. So they look pretty good here. Yeah, and they look like they look like an actual tag team and not two guys thrown together. But not, I mean, you pointed out, you know, the tags and the moves and whatnot. But they've actually got same boots on, trunks. So they they look like a tag team. It doesn't look like some, you know, just two guys thrown together for the sake of having a tag match, which I always like that. That's what I kind of hate about some of the current stuff. We don't always have that situation. Whereas with these guys, hey, they actually look like a team. And I think that's a positive. They look like a team, but they lose. Uh, Iron Mike Sharp gets his backbreaker for the submission. Rick Ferreira, the referee. Uh, just a couple things to say here. On commentary, Watts mentions that the Louisiana title tournament winner will be announced next week on the show because on the 6th, on July 6th in Baton Rouge, is the tournament. Also, he says that Jim Duggan, or Jim Dugan, will be returning next week, and we'll see a video of him later on in the show. So, Jim Dugan, now I'm calling him Dugan. Jim Duggan returning next week. Watts says on commentary here, but from there, we get a little more audio from Watts, who discusses Ted DiBiase using the loaded glove to set up some replays and clips here. But let's listen to this audio right now, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Well, Boyd Pierce, there's two people that are never wrong, never make mistakes. One's a backseat driver, and the other's a Monday morning quarterback, because they always can tell what the other person did wrong and always correct them. And here we have a chance to look at a situation, and it's a very serious situation. Maybe I was making too light of it. The situation between the junkyard dog and Ted DiBiase. But Bob Root made a comment in the closing moments of that match that DiBiase was doing something, taking something from his trunks and putting it in his glove. And he said, DiBiase had that ready for me, and now he's used it on the dog. And we went back and searched several tapes, and we saw that two weeks ago DiBiase had made an interview where Root had accused him and said he didn't want him able to wear that glove that it was DiBiase claimed the glove is holding the tape of his injured hand in place. That when he started sweating, it would come loose, so he just had a glove on it to do it and had been wearing the glove for about three weeks. Right. Roop said it was going to be used to cheat him out of the title. He didn't want DiBiase to be able to use it. Naturally, the junkyard dog never dreamed that this weapon would be used against him. But let's recall Ted DiBiase's interview and relive it as he was talking about wrestling Bob Roop for the title one fall, no DQ, and he said he would never stoop so low as to use that glove to beat anybody. Let's let's relive that. Once again, Mike, Bill Watts, able to explain everything. DiBiase's excuse, similar to my kids with their gymnastics, when they, when they have a blister on their hand, they need something to hold the tape in place. So that's why he's wearing a handball glove, to hold the tape covering his injured hand in place. And Watts almost sounds disgusted that Bob Roop was right. That DiBiase really was cheating. That's always the thing. Whenever a heel is right, man, you, you sit there and you're like, hmm, I hate to admit it, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things in life. Wrong is wrong is right is right. So you kind of got to admit that Roop was actually right. And, I mean, I can't really comment and say anything else at this point about it. Uh, uh, Watts is on the money here. And you're right. He is very apprehensive about admitting that, you know, Roop was right because, he ended up being right. That's exactly why he's got the tape on his hand. From there, we get a couple of clips. Like we said before, they replayed the Ted DiBiase interview from a few weeks back where he demands a title match, says he will leave Mid-South Wrestling if he loses, wants no DQ, wants it on TV in two weeks. And then from there, we get a recap of the match from last week on the show. The Junkyard Dog, who had just won the North American title from Bob Roop earlier in the week at an untelevised event, 
against Ted DiBiase, his best friend. And of course, DiBiase loads the glove, knocks out the dog, and wins the North American title, stunning those fans who were just sitting there, staring at the dog on the mat, not really knowing what just happened. Yeah, and again, dog is just – we talked about this last week, but he, he takes that fall where it's like, you know, he's like a, a big redwood tree that just timber. falls over on its side. And the timber fall. Timber. The timber fall. Not only does he fall, but let's remember, how long did – he lays there for – good Lord, I don't even remember. I, it, I, I didn't time it, but he's laid out. So as Watt said, he, he got his running lights crossed. He's, he's out cold. He's not getting up. I mean, he he's down for for you never see. I mean, you see, we've seen dog down like that before when he's been hit with things. But that's the signal to say, uh, uh-uh, JYD got hit with something that was in there that wasn't just a fist, and we need to acknowledge that fact. Watson Boyd put a well, not Watson Boyd. Watts puts a bow on this at the end. Let's listen to that, and then we'll talk about it in a moment. Well, DiBiase maintains that he did not do anything with the glove. And if he had, it's a no-disqualification match, so nothing can be done about it anyway. The junkyard dog, in talking to him, said he's been hit with everything from when he was a kid in the ghetto, ball bats, everything else, but he's never been hit that hard because he was so wide open. He wasn't looking to have to protect his jaw. Well, you people will be the judge and the jury, and we have Ted DiBiase and Tom Jones in the ring for the next event. Sounds like the JYD really had a tough time in the ghetto. They're hitting him yeah. with ball bats. <laughs> Everyone's attacking him everywhere he goes. And, and you know, to watch his credit, though, he he's going to reference that like in the in the coming months and weeks because he 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 will always say that. And then when a certain when a certain somebody, one of JYD's friends from his quote unquote childhood, pops up later on in the year, Watts is going to be like, "This is this was one of the guys that always stole JYD's lunch money while he was in the ghetto, and JYD had to fight and scrap." <laughs> like so, like the the funny part is, yeah, he he references a refer he says it a lot, and he references it all the time. It's just gonna. But it, but he's gonna, he'll draw something with it. Like he's gonna make sure he makes the point later on when there's a certain situation that happens in, I think it's November or so, uh, related to him always having his lunch money taken. So it's, but it is something he always, it, it's something he always talks about. And then the other thing about why he always talks about it is he's putting over the fact that Dog was a fighter, a scrapper. He, he, nothing ever came for free. He, he fought his way out. You know, he grabbed his bootstraps and got himself out of that environment. And, and that's part of what, what Watts is selling here with JYD as well. From there, we move on to the North American champion, Ted DiBiase versus Tom Jones, a veteran of Mid-South Wrestling, made his return last week in that six-man match that broke out at the end of the show. The referee is, I'm not sure. He looks kind of like a bootleg Alfred Neely, the Skip Bittman to Alfred Neely's Bobby Bittman. And we have some commentary during this match from Bill Watts. You can kind of tell Watts doesn't have a lot to say during the show. There's a different pace to Bill Watts here, kind of a slower pace. He's kind of watching the show a little more than usual. But he has some stuff to say here about the divided crowd, how the crowd is reacting to DiBiase's actions last week against the beloved Junkyard Dog, as well as a bit about DiBiase's history in Mid-South Wrestling. Let's listen to this right now. Well, like I say, right now the crowd is still hardly divided. Some feel that Teddy did cheat the dog, and others, I don't know if they've seen all the information and all the facts. But either way, this should be a great contest between two great athletes. Tom Jones always maintained and proud of his conditioning. DiBiase 
We've watched for five years here on Mid-South when he started his Rookie of the Year and the on the coattails of Dick Murdoch, fighting such battles against such greats as Killer Carl Cox, to where he first gained the North American title. He and the grappler in a match in Monroe that the grappler's knee and leg and ligaments were stretched where the grappler was in the one to wear the orthopedic boot. The battles Ted DiBiase's had with Paul Orndorff, with Bob Roop, when Bob Roop double-crossed Ted. And now it's all down to this. Quite a, quite a span for such a young man in wrestling and certainly a force to be reckoned with, right or wrong, because he's in the center of things. He is the North American champion. We have a match coming up shortly that will decide who the number one contender is for his title. I'll guess say one thing. In Mid-South Wrestling, you don't get to rest on your laurels. Both men out here, scientific match. Tom Jones, DiBiase, back to their feet. Arm drag, arm bar. Say, DiBiase is sitting in the driver's seat. He's sitting where everything has to happen. When you hold the North American title, everybody in the country is shooting at you. When you're the Mid-South Tag Champions, even the big guns from Atlanta come down, like John Studd and Super D, they want to try to take you on. The Louisiana champion, you got to defend that title. The whole state of Louisiana, the Mississippi champion, the state of Mississippi. So when you attract a title by the prestige and the importance of the title, so you attract the action. Wow, Tom Jones just about got a three count on DiBiase right here on TV. That would be a big upset for the new North American champion. Reverse headlock by Jones. So far, though, it's certainly DiBiase is... Still in the same style he's always wrestled, aggressive, hard, clean, fast, scientific. We haven't seen anything that shows a, a complete 180 degree in temperament or anything else. Maybe there is grounds for doubt as to what DiBiase did to the junkyard dog. DiBiase maintained, even after viewing that film clip, that there was nothing in that glove. Certainly we have nothing to prove any different. Well, let's stop it there, Mike. Watts points out DiBiase and Tom Jones are having a good match, a scientific match, back and forth. No one's cheating, but you can see there's some mannerisms that DiBiase's showing in his face that kind of led on that it's a different DiBiase. Yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. If you're you listening to Watts there, he's talking about the crowd being divided. But you what you cannot see um, is DiBiase's mannerisms with his facial expressions. And he's not the guy who who looks like he's the good guy who's a ferocious fighter. He looks like a guy who's conf- not only confused, but he's in between, but he's still a ferocious fighter. And the one thing, and we're going to talk about this in a minute after the finish that really sells what Watts just said, I hate to go forward, but what really sells what Watts just said is when DiBiase does get the pin and we'll discuss how he does it. He looks at the crowd with a bit of disgust. He doesn't say anything, but it's just the look of side eye looks at him and just kind of just looks away as if to say, I don't need you. And I think that really sells what Watts said right here. We'll talk about it in a second, a little bit more, but that was my thoughts on that. Well, let's play that audio right now. We'll talk about it on the other side. Uh, DBS getting a little rough, a little aggressive there. And Tom Jones retaliates in kind. Tom is just going ahead and sticking him. He says, I'm not going to take any of this nonsense. Tom firing in there. Gut shot. 
Tom Jones is coming here to walk tall. Headbutt. That's a big one. He's got DiBiase in a lot of trouble. DiBiase's going to his tights, boy, and I can't believe my eyes. The champion going to his tights, and something is going in that glove, boy, Pierce. Tom Jones hasn't seen it. DiBiase reverses Jones in, and he tees off. And Jones is out. Tom Jones is out. DiBiase's picking him up. Pile driver. Inside cradle. Oh boy, Pierce, I think right there. One picture is worth 10,000 words in this. Look at the defiance. Look at the defiance on DiBiase's face as he faces that crowd. Ted DiBiase, the North American champion, may have just embarked on a rocky, rocky road, Boyd Pierce. From the tights to the glove to the jaw to the pile driver, a victory for Ted DiBiase, the junkyard dog versus Bob Roop after this message from Mid-South Wrestling. That's really something. It's a good, like I said, it's a good match. The reaction from the fans tells the story because when DiBiase loads the glove, hits Tom Jones, and he really clobbers him. It almost looks more like a forearm to the face than a punch. And then he picks up and gives him the pile driver. The fans don't react. It's not until the referee, you know, until they announce that Ted won and raise his hand that the boos start. But they're silent for the pin. Like, they still can't believe what DiBiase has become just at this one taping, just in the last two matches. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and another thing, too, before he pulls out the, the loaded glove or loads up the glove, Tom Jones was getting some cheers from the fans. Like, you'll see, if you're watching along with us, uh, you, you see the fans kind of clapping, and then you see in, when DiBiase goes to start pull, you know, loading the glove, you see fans kind of like they're standing. They're not really reacting, but they're pointing because the ref's got his back turned. And they see DiBiase loading the glove, and then they see him hit Tom Jones with the glove. And you're right. They're just kind of like silent. He hits him with the pile driver. There's still no booze or anything because I got to believe these people were in a little bit of a shock. They're like, this is Ted DiBiase. What the hell is going on here? This is some bull. You know, why is this happening? And then you see a few cheers for him when he wins, but you also see – some people with the boo sign. And then he, when he looks at that crowd with that blank stare, like, I don't need you peasants. And he gets out the ring, doesn't say a word, but he just glances at them like, man, screw you. And he leaves. That tells the story. So you don't, you don't hear it in that audio, but you see it in the, at the end of that match. And I thought at that point, we're like, oh yeah, he's dead. This wasn't only about, you know, the, the North American title. Yeah. It was about the North American title, but, uh, we're thinking now, oh, he he's really making the turn. He's really turning at this point. From there, we go to a big match here on TV. The Junkyard Dog, the former North American champion, versus Bob Roop, the former North American champion. And this is a very interesting match. We'll talk a lot more about it in just a moment. Alfred Neely, the referee. Bill Watts has some opening thoughts and comments from this match, and uh, we'll discuss this match on the other side. Have you ever heard of a person having a weekend headache? I think the dog's had a week-long headache because he looks like he came in a mood he left in last week. And he's out ready, and Bob Roop is feeling it. And it's Roop doesn't want it. I mean, Bob Roop is a tough man. He's been North American champion, Louisiana champion. Oh, clothesline. 15-yard penalty in the National Football League. The junkyard dog is out to walk tall. It, look at that. Look at that. 
Bob Roop just a junkyard dog is he's fit to be tied. He just said, Bill, what can, who can I trust? What can I trust? So I'm gonna go back just like I was when I was a kid. I'm going back to my junkyard. Get this as mean as when I used to have to fight my way to school to get my milk money there when the bullies had tried to take it away from me. Something like everybody in the ring, what is going to be like slow dragging in a telephone booth with a tiger? Bob Roop going for the hip toss and the dog just clamps down with that 560 pound bitch pressability, reverses it, and he really heaved Bob Roop. I don't think the dog wants anybody to have any doubts as to who the number one contender will be for Ted DiBiase in the North American title. And Boyd Pierce, one thing I think I can promise you, when the dog there's a big thump. I think, Boyd Pierce, I can promise you that when the dog and DiBiase meet up, the match is going to have a lot different tempo and a lot different intensity than the last time because the junkyard dog and DiBiase won't be out there in a clean, legal, scientific bout with a junkyard dog thinking, that's the friend, that's the man, he was best man in his wedding. I think it'll be more like a Judas, and junkyard dog will be wanting DiBiase to feel the same thing that Bob Root must now be feeling. Exactly, Bill, as he leaves Bob Root prone in the ring, and we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Mike, that was a complete squash. He didn't sell a thing. There was a couple of points where Root kicks him, you could see the dog's face, and it's just he doesn't sell anything. This is as strong as we've ever seen the dog on TV. Yeah, I mean, and it sells the dog as just being this angry person. He isn't here for fun and games. You know, this ain't about, there ain't no teeth and gums where you're smiling, Roop. It's a, or he's, or dog smiling. He is here to whoop some ass, and, you know, that's what he's here to do. I mean, he defeated Roop in under two minutes with the thump. I mean, Roop maybe got, a, I don't want to say offense, but maybe got a shot in at the very beginning, but JYD no sold it and commenced to whoop in Roop's butt, and that was that. It was, it, like you said, it's about as much of a squash as you'll see between, you know, two guys like Roop and Dog. From there, we get a big match. It's the Mississippi State champion, Mr. Olympia, versus the Grappler with Rick Ferreira as the referee. Let's play some audio of Bill Watts from this match with his thoughts about the match, but also about the Junkyard Dogs' relationship with Mr. Olympia. Of course, they are the Mid-South Tag Team Champions together. Let's listen to this right now. Certainly should. A young man, both of them masked. The grappler has been the North American champion, been the Mississippi champion, been the Louisiana champion. Mr. Olympia won the Mississippi title, co-holder with the Junkyard Dog of the Mid-South Tag Title. Boyd, I wonder, can the junkyard dog now trust Mr. Olympia? I mean, where is the dog as far as being able to trust and to have any faith? You know, here's a man wearing a mask. That's his partner, his co-holder of the Mid-South Tag Title. But the man who, Ted DiBiase, and like I said, he was the best man at DiBiase's wedding. They've stuck together through thick and thin, and DiBiase, the North American title, and the position DiBiase had put him in caused DiBiase to take measures that's going to affect DiBiase's life and certainly the relationship of the dog and DiBiase from now on. I wonder what the dog must be feeling about Mr. Olympia. I know this, that when Mr. Olympia came, it was without any fanfare. And he came and said, dog, he said, I know that anybody that's your partner is a marked man. And I'm going to be your partner and I'm going to stick with you. And thus he has. But certainly the dog right now has to wonder after the DiBiase situation. And certainly with DiBiase proved with 
Tom Jones that everything Bob Roof said about him must have a basis. How about that? Saying that Bob Roop, the heel, the dastardly heel, he was right about Ted DiBiase. What he said had basis. And again, it's one of those things where it, it, he's not lying. And again, right is right and wrong is wrong. And in this situation, even though it was the heel, the heel was right about this. So we we have to acknowledge that. I think it's I think it would be a disservice and being dishonest to your fans if you don't acknowledge that. Um, another thing I, I found there that was interesting was, you know, Watts giving his thoughts saying and question, you know, JYD just had you know, his back or DiBiase turned his back on JYD in the worst way possible. And JYD is still a tag champ. So, you know, can he can he trust Olympia as the co-holder of the Mid-South tag titles? I thought that was interesting for Watts to say something like that, because I guess if you are JYD, it's like, man, if my best friend can turn on me for something, you know, can can would Olympia do the same? But Watts also mentions that, you know, when Olympia came in, he realized aligning himself with JYD made him a mark man because that's what they would do. That's what they were doing. I mean, we let's go back just, you know, the last four to six months. Akbar's whole thing was, you know, that mangy mutt JYD and his flea bitten junkyard dog. You know, so anybody who aligned themselves with the dog all of a sudden was a target. So it is a good question that Watts would ask to say, well, is Olympia a safe now too? You know, can JYD trust him? And I just thought that was a nice little seed to, to plant. Even if nothing ever happens, it's still something to speculate and think about. I like the fact that Watts is like, and Mr. Olympia came in here to help out the dog, but he wears a mask. Does the dog not know who Olympia is? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Watts is going to tell us in the in the next few months that when it comes to mask men, you know, um, we send the check to a P.O. box. That's right. To pay them, <laughs> which was the best explanation for masked men. I, I, I see if I tell it, I'm going to give it away. And some people literally some people are watching this for the first time. I know that sounds crazy, so I don't want to give it away. Uh, but Watts is going to reference, you know, that he sends paychecks of mass men to a PO box and not to a physical address with a name on it so that he does not know the identities of these mass men. So with that said, uh, let's just assume that Olympia drove around the territory with his mask on. Cause many mass men did do that. Well, let's play now some more audio from the end of this match and the mask comes into play for both men. Grapper looks like the grapper's going for the mask. Maybe he's going to unmask Mr. Olympia. Well, that's going to cause some fireworks. I guarantee you these men, Protect their identities. Now Olympia firing away. It's technically against the rules. The mask is considered the same as hair, and they're not supposed to be able to pull it, tug it. Drop kick by Mr. Olympia. Now he's looks like he's going to show the grappler that two could go after that re- identity revealing situation. Oh! High risk, high flying move. The grappler loading that boot, loading that orthopedic shoe, Boyd Pierce. Wow, he's just trying to stump Mr. Olympia. Mr. Olympia moving. He knows he's in a lot of trouble. He caught, he caught the grappler. He got the, he's got the sleeper. He's got the sleeper. Pushed him in. Caught him in a roll up. Mr. Olympia retains the Mississippi title. He never got a chance to use the loaded boot, and there you see referee Rick Ferreira handing him the coveted belt, signifying he's still Mississippi State champion. We'll be back. The Big Ernie Ladd versus Killer Khan after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Next to the dog, Mr. Olympia is in the best shape of anyone there. 
He's also the only guy with a tan, it seems like, on the entire roster. Yeah, especially when you he's next to Lindit and the grappler right there. He he's really you could I mean you could, he really looks tanned. It, I don't want to say uh the grappler's like got a Seamus type non-tan, but he definitely is is tan next to the grappler. You know, that was a that was a really good finish. I, I just thought that, you know, both both guys begin, you know, they're they're going after each other's mask and grappler loads the boot, but Olympia avoids the, the loaded boot. Olympia then puts grappler in a sleeper. Olympia sends Grappler into the corner. Grappler falls out when he hits the corner hard. And Olympia with the schoolboy for the win. I liked it because it was real. It was quick. Like, oh, here we go again. Grappler's loading the boot. Olympia's going to lose. But no, Olympia outsmarts him, gets him, puts him in a sleeper. You think, oh, Olympia's going to win with a sleeper. No, not so quick. Grappler fights it off. But in going to the corner, he hits the corner real hard. And Olympia being real smart. Rolls him up, one, two, three. Olympia rolls out the ring. Uh, Grappler is angry inside the ring. Really quick finish, but really, I, I, I thought it was good. It looks real when it's like that because it doesn't look, you know, ridiculously choreographed or you know, fifty million false, you know, false finishes there. Just a, just a nice little TV match. And here's the thing, I have a problem when I'm watching matches with the Grappler. He just does, and what I mean by that is he does not waste time or energy, and I hate trying to take notes while I'm watching him because he is so damn good. You just want to watch him and put your pin down. He's just he's. It's hard to explain if you're not watching these matches along with how good the grappler is. He's he was just a phenomenal professional wrestler. From there, Mike, we move on to our next match: the Big Cat Ernie Ladd versus Killer Khan with General Skandar Akbar. Sorry to say this is the first time in a while that Ernie Ladd slowing down was apparent. He seemed to have a real difficult time getting the boot up for the big boot. Uh, my, it's amazing you said that. We never talk about these matches pre-show. And I would just say it's really hard to watch Ernie Ladd here. As much as we love the big cat, his mobility is to the point of being shot right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I noticed it as much when I was young, but he just can't. he just can't move well. And it's... It's it's sad uh, in a way because, I mean, this is 82. I mean, he's he's still going to be around in Mid-South, you know, in a few more years. But he's just he just can't move. And he's just an older man. And he's seen his better days. And it's it's a little sad because Mid-South is is really, really about to hit its peak. And, you know, over uh, next couple year period and the fact that Ernie Ladd couldn't be there as a performer in his, and I, when I say a performer, I mean a performer in his peak during that period is sad, but you know, father time does no jobs. And unfortunately the big cat is just, he's just nearing the end and his, his body's getting to the point where it's just shot. You may notice during some of these matches with killer Khan that he likes to scream. He lets out this big yell every time he does a move. Well, Bill Watts and boy Pierce have an explanation for that. Let's listen to this right now. <laughs> Bill, if you'll notice Oriental stars, most of them have a ritual they go through. Killer Khan, whenever he becomes the aggressor, he has a mercenary squeal. Well, that squeal or that scream comes way back from that early judo and martial arts training. It's more than just psychological. The actual fact is that when you make a move or a technique move of any kind, when you scream, it forces the tightening of your abdominal muscles which adds to the power and strength of whatever you do. So it's really not just a scream to, to put fear in the heart of your opponent, but it's actually a technique they learned from childhood in the Eastern and the Oriental 
in the Mongolian countries where they hand-to-hand -hand combat is something taught from a very young age. An impressive answer. Don't know how realistic it is, <laughs> but a very impressive answer about the Eastern and Oriental and Mongolian <laughs> countries. When you scream, it tightens up those muscles. <laughs> I mean, there is something to that. If you, like, scream loud, your your torso and your your abdomen kind of does tighten up, but I don't <laughs> Bill Watts just, oh, man, I laughed. It was funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's now listen to the end of this match. There's a lot going on. We remind you, General Skandar Akbar is at ringside. Ernie Ladd better keep his concentration on what's going on in the ring and not let the referee be a bother to him because the referee can't really decide the outcome of this match one way or another. All he can do is attempt, and I say attempt, to enforce the loosely enforced rules and regulations of professional wrestling with two giants like this because certainly he's going to be intimidated by them. Wow. Man, the lad went for the guillotine-type leg maneuver. The referee knocked clear out here on the floor. Skandar Akbar's got that steel chair up there and Looks like he's putting it against the corner post and telling Khan to throw Ernie Ladd into it. But Ernie Ladd, Ernie Ladd, turn the tables. Ernie Ladd, you've got to keep Ernie Ladd after Skandar Agbar. Khan's, oh! Boyd Pierce, Killer Khan, really, Really laid it to Ernie Ladd. A tremendous wallop, that steel chair right across the head of the big cat. Thrust kick to the throat. Killer Khan going up. Whoa! Victory to Killer Khan. With Akbar on the outside directing. Killer Khan did just what he wanted him to do and gained a victory over Ernie Ladd. We'll be back and see Colonel Buck Robley versus Hangman Rick Harris after this word. On the same show where we see Bob Roop squashed and laid out in a ring where he's laying there for a while, we see not as much a squash, but a similar thing here with Ernie Ladd. He loses and the segment ends with him laid out in the ring. Yeah, and that chair shot to the back of the head that Khan gave him when he is laid out, that kind of made me cringe, man. Not that a chair. Look, I don't know if you've ever been hit with a, in a head with a chair, Brian. But let me tell you, when you when you take it on the crown of the head, it hurts. But it doesn't hurt as bad as when somebody slaps you on the back of the head. I can't. I don't. Not a doctor of any sort. But it just hurts more, and it stuns you a lot more than than the back of the head. Uh, it's just. Uh, oh my God, it just hurts. So that hurt me watching Ernie Ladd take that. But. Yeah, Ernie Ladd takes Ernie Ladd takes the pin and one, two, three, Khan gets the victory. So Roop and Ladd both lose in the same episode. Interesting stuff there, man. From there we get our next match. It is the Hangman Rick Harris versus Buck Robley, Colonel Buck Robley, Buckley, Christopher, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh he returned last week on the show. And Alfred Neely, the referee. We have some comments during this match from Bill Watts about someone we haven't talked about in several weeks. Dick Murdoch, and of course he has a long history with Ted DiBiase. Let's listen to this right now. You know, when I think about the redneck, Captain Redneck, 
the ex-Marine that's so proud of it on his foreign tour in Tokyo, Dubai, Hong Kong. I just wonder what his reaction's going to be when word catches up to him and word travels so fast in wrestling. When word catches up to him about Ted DiBiase, his young protege, the man that he's known Teddy since Teddy was a youngster and Dick Murdoch always looked up to Ted's deceased father, Iron Mike, who was fatally injured in a match in Texas and died and uh, Iron Mike DiBiase. I just wonder what Dick Murdoch, how he's going to reflect on this situation because, you know, he was a partner of the dogs. And they said that it could never be done that a redneck like Dick Murdoch and the junkyard dog, a man from the ghetto, could ever be a team. The Murdoch and dog were a team, and they were an inseparable team, and they were a victorious team. And now for Ted DiBiase, his own protege, so to speak, to be so treacherous and so infamous against the junkyard I just wonder what Dick Murdoch will say and what his reaction will be. I... A lot of things going through my mind right now, Boyd Pierce. And, of course, Buck Robley, Colonel Christopher Robley. Mike, growing up in New Orleans at this time, was the word ghetto used a lot? Uh, I don't. I mean, yeah. Because Watts keeps dropping. This is like the third time on this show. I mean, yes and no. Uh, I I don't know. It's just a really weird thing. Like I said, I I take him saying that all the time now in hindsight is when a certain something happens in a few months, he's going to he really ratchets it up and mentions it a lot related to the dog. But I, I, I think he's just trying to like sell the dog, sell the dog is this guy who, you know, fought from the bottom and he scrapped and he fought and nothing was given to him and he had to fight every single day. It, you know, he was he was basically a junkyard dog just fighting for his life in the hood, in the ghetto. I, I, I don't, I can't, like at some point I remember the, the, the term hood being used a lot more than ghetto, but you know, who knows what's going through the good cowboys of mine who lives up there in Oklahoma. He may be driving through New Orleans when he's in his shows. And, you know, he's he's driving through the, you know, Central City in, mid, in, in the lower Ninth Ward. I have no clue where he's, you know, that could be where this is coming from. I... I just think it's Watts's perspective, not not. I think it's Watts's perspective, and not so much as a term used, you know, actually in the city of New Orleans, be said a lot at that time. Buck Robley wins by cheating. He hits Hangman Rick Harris over the head with his <laughs> brace, and then does it a second time. If it was Ted DiBiase. Bill Watts would have been going nuts, but I guess Colonel Buck Robley's allowed to use his brace. Let me correct you. It's Buckley Christopher George Robley the third, Brian. Come on, can we get this right? Because the one thing that old uh, Reeser Bowden is going to do every single time we hear Buck Robley announce, he's going to mention his full name if my memory is correct. So it's Buckley Christopher George Robley the third. Got to be the longest name we've heard announcing a wrestling match. But uh, yes, uh, Buck Robley uses that brace or padded forearm. I feel like that's like a football forearm pad is is what he's got on, but I, I could be wrong. But yes, he uses it. And I felt bad because, man, you know, we've talked about Rick Hangman Harris here. He's really looked good in all of his appearances and he doesn't look bad here. I mean, he sells, he takes great bumps. He, he's, he's a, he's a talent, man. He, he really looks good and makes you wonder what would have been if he'd have got a chance in mid South because he, he's really, really good. And well, Buckley George Christopher, uh, whatever, Buckley Christopher George Robley III comes in, and in a few weeks, Rick Hangman Harris, I think he takes his first pinfall. I think his real name was Philip. Notice they don't use the name Philip when they list all those different names, but Buck <laughs> Robley wins that match. And from there, we close up the show with 
a clip from Southwest Championship Wrestling of Jim Duggan against another guy we haven't seen in a while, Frank Monty. You may remember him from the early episodes of this show. And <laughs> it's just a highlight. It's just not even a highlight video. It's Jim Duggan defeating Frank Monty as they're getting ready to bring him back to Mid-South. Yeah, it's it's um like you said, it's not even a highlight. It's kind of like the last few minutes of the match, maybe three minutes or so. It is not fabulous Frank Monty as seen in the Mothership Facebook group that Brian last posted pictures of. This is the the brown version. And when we say brown, we mean the obviously, you know, brown hair, dark boots. You said that. Yeah, yeah. We mean like his his attire that he has on. He actually it, I can't tell if that's brown boots or brown knee pads or black, but he's definitely got like some um, maroonish looking tights. The footage isn't all that crisp, so it's hard to tell. But Frank Monty is not fabulous here. He is just regular Frank Monty. And Brian, it still amazes me when I look at those pictures of fabulous Frank Monty. And who was it that you said has like had recollection of him in California as fabulous Frank Monty? Oh, Dan Farron. Dan Farron. Dan Farron. That's about right. It. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to credit him. So Dan Farron had mentioned uh, how he was so fabulous back then. And I got, it's just really hard for Brian and I to envision Frank Monty as the fabulous Frank Monty. I wish there was more footage of him as fabulous Frank doing promos in New York or California or wherever. But with that, Mike, another episode of Mid-South Wrestling in the books. And as we begin to wrap things up, I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. You can listen to me on the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership, at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. And I want to do something that Mike's done a few times recently. I want to thank everyone for all the five-star reviews on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. And if you get a chance, write us a positive review and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us out. But Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Well, just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, you know, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. We still hate Stitcher, though. Um, you can find it. Just search Booking the Territory. If you just want to go and check out the show online, it's tinyurl.com slash Pod. I do want to reiterate, I have noticed we have gotten a lot more five-star reviews within the last couple of weeks, Brian, since we thanked everyone. So reiterating what Brian said, please give us a five-star review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I always read tweet the Smoky Mountain and NWA shows that Booking the Territory puts out with myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner. Remember, we are the unprofessional wrestling podcast for a reason. It is not politically correct. We do go off the walls, but it's all in fun and nothing is meant to be intentionally harmful to anyone. So please keep that in mind. But we have a great time discussing old school wrestling. And remember, we just got to the point in Smoky Mountain Wrestling where New Jack and Mustafa come into the territory, and it is a blast. We are having so much fun talking about all those great promos that Brian actually got to witness in person, which is really cool. Uh, I could only imagine if I would have had a chance to sit in those arenas and buildings to uh, experience New Jack firsthand as he lights. It's kind of nuclear, I guess is the best way to put it. But that's all I got, Brian. This was a little, this was a slower-paced Mid-South show, but still a lot of fun nonetheless. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the unprofessional Mike Mills, 
I'm the great Brian Last. Book it. 